Welcome to the Big Fundamental Podcast, Ken's Fives Podcast on the San Antonio Spurs and NBA basketball. I'm Jackson Floyd. Joining me today is Evan Klosky and uh, Video Killed the Radio Star. That's Tom Petrini over there. <laughs> Money for nothing, checks for free. You gotta, you gotta try pretty hard to be louder than Evan Klosky. So uh, I'm good luck. Bring it with the wardrobe happen. today. Stylistically louder. Yes. Yeah, our, so, our promos department, two walls down here, man. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got a few big fun questions we need to address, mm-hmm. uh, namely because after uh, was it Monday's game against the Hornets. Uh, a surprise going into the game there. Tim Duncan, head coaching as Greg Popovich steps away from personal business. The thought, I think, going into the season was that if Popovich was going to miss time, Becky Hammond, the assistant coach mm-hmm. who'd been with his team the longest, the longest tenured assistant coach, would get the call up to be that interim head coach. Uh, that's not what we saw against Charlotte on Monday. We saw Tim Duncan take that spot. And that caused uh, quite some uproar on Twitter, I would say. Yeah. Uh, that was the conversation before, during, and after the game is Tim Duncan's coaching ability and uh, why not Becky? Um, first and foremost, one of the most notable observations we have had during this discussion are people proclaiming their defense of Becky Hammond, mm. you know, yelling <laughs> to the skies. Adding the that, D there. Darn it, Becky Hammond. H-A-M-M-O-N-D deserves the right to coach on the sidelines. And let me tell you this. You cannot say that Becky Hammond deserves more respect when you are disrespecting her by not knowing her last name. It is the ultimate contradictory uh, statement. It's it's mind-boggling to me, and it's sort of like the society we live in a little bit today is that we're just kind of spewing fire without even knowing what the heck we're, we're kind of doing here. We're having a true respect of the person that we're talking about. Spelling is hard, Evan. It's, I don't know if you know this. But. Yeah, you're punching up a random D at the end. It's not like autocorrect, just right. don't throw that Hammond. You know, it's not like it's a, a common word yeah, there. Yeah, like, you yeah. do it knowingly. Um, but even besides that, yeah, we're, we're going to delve into this one. And, um, you know, I'll say first and, and time, uh, I'm fine with Tim Duncan coaching, and I have a long explanation as to why. And where do you stand? Well, I'm I'm fine in a vacuum. I'm fine with Tim Duncan mm-hmm. being named the you know repl- emergency head coach, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it would be hard to argue that one of the five or six greatest NBA players of all time mm-hmm. is not qualified, at least in some way to uh, act as head coach for a game for a team that he's been a part of for the better part of two decades, won five titles. I don't need to go over his credentials. Um, Nobody's saying that Becky should have gotten the job because she's a woman. Nobody's saying that Tim Duncan is not qualified for the job. The frustration comes from the fact that she is a legend in her own right. Mm -hmm. She is a woman who has more than uh, paid her dues in a field that has only ever been mm-hmm. male candidates. Um, she's a six-time WNBA All-Star. She was the head coach of the Summer League team when Jonathan Simmons and Kyle Anderson were on the team in 2015. That's almost five years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and oh, by the way, she won that Summer League title. And she looked ready to be a head coach then, mm-hmm. just seeing the way she interacted with the guys. She's been with this young core. She knows this Spurs team better than probably all but two or three people mm-hmm. on the planet. Um, so, Who are she, those two to three people on the planet? Right, exa- <laughs> exactly. Uh, it's, it's Pop and then maybe Tim Duncan. <laughs> the, the only strike against her 
on her resume is that the name at the top is not Tim Duncan. And that's completely out of her control. She has done everything in her power to earn Mm -hmm. that job, earn that role. Um, And, you know, if you or somebody that you love has bumped into a glass ceiling in in their career, it's hard not to feel a little bit bad Mm -hmm. for this woman who has done everything that she could in her power mm-hmm. to earn that. Yeah. Um, but I, even, even if the reason that she didn't get it is not her gender so, at all. And just spawning off of that, is this really the glass ceiling breaker? Uh, one game on the road against Charlotte. Right. Um, does that really break the glass? Like, the, is it really- The glass is going to be broken either this offseason or the next because she's going to be one of the top names people are mm-hmm. calling for an opening head coach. We've seen this happen already in the college level. The, she hasn't jumped to that. She ha- she could easily be coaching right now in yeah. college basketball. That is, uh, her name has been thrown out there. She turned down her alma mater. Yeah. Uh, and some other jobs. So, uh, A, it's very clear she's happy with the Spurs. B, it's very clear she's getting advice that things are working. And she has been promoted yeah. every step along the way with the Spurs. Uh, there is no doubt we, we heard rumors with the Knicks uh, when they, they fired Fisdale. And honestly, she might have made the right decision in not taking the Knicks job if there was any sort of offer there. And it like that, still so. could happen. Yeah. She still could be brought in because nobody loves to piss off the Spurs more than the Knicks. <laughs> yeah. That's very and, true. And, and Pop might flip a lid. If we, <laughs> we were joking about this yesterday. If Becky came to Pop and was like, hey, I'm thinking about taking the Knicks job, he'd be like, I'm retiring right now. Yeah. <laughs> you can have the Spurs head coaching job. I'm sorry. It took you, can ha- you can have my estate. Right, uh, right. But, Just don't do that. So, um, okay. So let, let me go on my, my little bit of a, a rant go here for an explanation. Just to try to give perspective as to why it is okay that Tim Duncan coached uh, against the Hornets. Uh, first and foremost, Becky Hammond is the leader for women in the coaching field, not just in the NBA, but also we saw in the NFL uh, – a women's coach in the Super Bowl, and who does she credit? Becky Hammond. Becky Hammond. Who was the organization that gave Becky Hammond the platform to be the ceiling breaker? The Spurs, right? And this was the Spurs before it was even, like, before the country was even woke to really give women a shot. To You know, now we are well more knowledgeable uh, as a country to say, hey, women can do just as much as men, mm-hmm. and that is very important, and I am so proud of the movements we are making as a country like this, on that this front. This was pre-Hillary's nomination. That, that's what I'm saying. You know? Like This was seven years ago. I mean, yeah. this was like way beyond it being in vogue. It was just literally Pop and R.C. Buford and the organization saying, this woman is freaking damn good at basketball, and she can coach, right. and she deserves a spot on this team because she's an asset. Yeah. Literally just looking at her qualifications, that is what they did. So that is what you have to understand when it comes to the San Antonio Spurs. You can't say that they're an organization that is afraid to break the glass ceiling when they are the ones that broke the glass ceiling in the first place. Yeah. You, we, we can't come at it from that contradictory route. Not with the Spurs. You know, There is way too many other angles to where we can pit, poke and prod, but with this organization, they have proven time and time again that they really do not give a crap about that stuff, yeah. and that is not going to be in the forefront of their decision-making. So when it comes to pop and these decisions, I think 0.0 of it has to do with them being afraid that a woman's going to coach a game. That's just not what it comes down to. Yeah. So here's the analogy that I was coming up to. All right. So um, you're growing up. You have a childhood friend, right? You have a childhood friend, best friends. Then somebody moves to town in high school, and that person, male or female, joins your group. And you're all best friends, and you're all best friends, and you're living your life. The person who moves to town and yourself – 
then goes off to college. The guys are best yeah. friends. The other childhood friend goes to a different college. But you're still tight. You're FaceTiming occasionally. You're just not seeing each other all the time. But you're still very much in communication. Come home for the holidays, you see each other. College ends in four years. You come back. Things are just the way it used to be. Everybody's hanging out, all three friends. And then it comes down to the wedding. You need a best man, uh, a, you know, what best woman, what am I, a, bri a bride? Maid of honor. Maid of honor, thank yeah. you. I think of bridesmaid. Uh, and maid of honor. And uh, who are you going to choose? Are you going to choose the childhood friend you've known your entire life? Or are you going to choose the one that your relationship has been growing with uh, when they moved to town and you had that college experience? To me, it's the, it's the childhood friend, yeah. right? That, that's the one you've been through thick and thin with that from day one they've been your person and guess what like the person who just came into your life and during high school and you've been friends with and you're guarding that is still going to be in the bridal party uh, or a groomsman it's just a matter of picking and choosing who is your go-to guy or, yeah. or girl and that's tim and becky for me that that tim has been there for pop from from really the onset the beginning that is his guy yeah that is the one that he has gone to war with the most and even though there's been some time away and and tim retired and becky stayed on tim is his guy and even beyond that when we bring it to the basketball world tim is arguably a top five player ever and not only beyond that it, it, even beyond the the credentials yeah. he's done it with the same organization with the same powers that be that are still in place with the same system so yeah. he knows it backwards and forwards has won championships with that it is no demerit on becky hammond none at all this has nothing to do with becky's credentials she is going to be the first woman's head coach i can promise you that it's just when it comes down to this situation they're treated as committee and when pop left he had to choose someone yeah. and that is his guy and it has nothing to do with becky i mean credit the spurs organization for having three assistant coaches who could jump into this role mm -hmm. i mean we saw it when pop was ejected one game that will hardy becky hammond and tim duncan kind of jointly took over as it, a, a head coach by committee yeah there is no top assistant on this team by the way yeah so i mean it's not like He's you know, got a hierarchy of people there. It, like I said, it comes back to being with Tim Duncan for 20-odd years. And it's something that we talked about when he was brought in as an assistant coach, which was kind of a surprising move in the moment. It never really seemed like Duncan had the the uh, the willingness, the, I mean, not the willingness, but the desire to be a coach mm -hmm. in the NBA. It seemed like he was going to retire and live a nice, quiet life, you know, fixing up motor vehicles on the city's east side uh, and live with his kids and things like that. Um, but, yeah, he, he came to this position because at the time it was that Pop needed someone there. Mm -hmm. He needed a guy who knew the organization, and like you said, no one knows the organization better than Duncan. Yeah. No one else has been through it uh, in, for two decades except mm -hmm. Duncan, Pop, and Buford. And also, even beyond that, like giving, I've heard like, this was her time, she should have been, like this moment would have been bigger for her than it would have been for Tim Duncan. On another side of the coin, is it fair to thrust Becky into this groundbreaking role? I mean, it already popped off on the what could have been. Imagine she did it. It's on the second leg of a back-to-back -back where you're traveling. The Spurs team is maybe at their peak in eighth seed. I mean, like, yeah. they're not a very good team, and you're going to throw her into a role where, in that situation, I mean, they pulled out the one-point victory. But it's not a, it wasn't a good situation entering the night. I mean, yeah. you were hopeful that they were going to win that game. They were mm -hmm. favored to win that game. But it, what happened if it turned badly? 
and then all of a sudden, Becky has one game on her resume where she was a head coach. It went sour because it was the back end of a back-to-back where they were traveling. I mean, it started off the game that way. Like, oh, crap, this is going to go bad. Yeah. And then all people talk about is that one game she coached. Yeah. The one game, and it's like zero reflection of how good of a coach she is. It just was like a terrible situation to be put in. Yeah, that's like, just the tape you have on so her. So we're talking about the positives of what could have been. What about the negatives? Like, going into a game not knowing the result, we do know the result now. But going into the game not knowing what that's going to be, would that have been a fair position to put her in? The right platform to put her in? You know, probably not. If This is going to be like you said, when she is made the first NBA head coach, uh, I guess first professional sports head coach as a woman, um, I mean, that's going to be a monumentous occasion. Uh, you want to give that the aplomb and the ceremony and things mm-hmm. like that that it deserves and, and not just throw into a, a tough situation there. I, I agree with that. Uh, I, I do think, um, you know, like you said, I mean, how much of a role did, uh, the win doesn't even count for Tim Duncan. Uh, I, I yeah, saw it was Mark yeah. Stein. It, it's, 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 it's it goes to Pop's record. So, I mean, a win or a loss in that sense, I don't think that affects Becky. But, yeah. I mean, the tape is there. And that would be the headlines dominating afterwards. Yeah. Is she ready? Could she have done this? You know, that kind of stuff. And that's not fair to her. You're yeah. right. Yeah. It, it would have it been a high-risk, high-reward award scenario if she wins people are like she's ready to go hire her now if she loses i don't know if the league is ready for a woman's head coach you yeah. know that true i and but from from the spurs perspective i think we need to be careful about you know because on the one hand we mm-hmm. we think you know her gender had nothing to do with this mm-hmm. decision but if if we then go on the other side and say well you know maybe pop was trying to protect her I, I, I don't yeah. know how much I buy that. Yeah, you know? and I, I think maybe... And that's fair. That's 1,000% fair. Again, I think Pop gave the 0.0. I, I agree with default, you, yeah. I still default back to Pop saying, like, Tim's my guy, and that's who I want. Like, literally, right. I think he spent two seconds thinking about it, saying Tim's the head coach, and that's it. Like, I got to go. Yeah. Like, right. I, I don't... We're delving into deeper things. I'm yeah, talking yeah. more abstract, but, yeah, I, I 1,000% agree that I don't think that that was the, the decision-making in the process. So let's talk about Coach Tim Duncan, then. Uh, mm-hmm. He came out after the game. Uh, it was hilarious watching him have to do a coaching post game interview oh, there. Guys, we got a, a post game that lasted more than two minutes, more than two and questions. The, and the Spurs head coach was actually quite insightful during it. <laughs> it was like un- we got like great we, sound. we got a window into his soul. Man. It was unbelievable. But he was very open about the fact that he didn't feel like he did much as a head coach. Yeah. He just kind of set and forget kind of thing. It was you know? very but, much like Tim Duncan, the player, you know. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure if they had lost this game, yeah, he would have been like, "This is on me." Yeah, you know, he he would have taken full responsibility. But as we've seen from his entire legendary <laughs> career, when he when he does well, uh, you know, he he distributes praise elsewhere yeah. to other deserving people. One one of the sneaky best bites of that whole thing was like his. I think it was the first one where he was like, "Honestly, I was just out there screaming, yeah, not <laughs> nonsensical things." Yeah. Well, well one of the one of the theories that people had for why it was Tim was that it was his scout team, uh, you know, because every yeah. every assistant has Good teams to, bring to scout, um, and people assumed, you know, because you know people we made assumed, that assumption the first right. time when he got chucked out, yeah, right, yeah. and he revealed in that post game that it, that wasn't the case. It was uh, Mitch, Johnson. Mitch Johnson, whose name I learned that day, <laughs> um, and he was the one who prepped the game. He said. Uh, you know, Will and Becky took care of all the all the calls, and I just stood there yelling at people. <laughs> and you know, very classic Tim Duncan. Yeah. Now, so uh, I mean, do you think he's got the desire to move forward as a head coach in the I NBA? So. I mean, Absolutely I don't either. Uh, but if you look at the the Hall of Fame caliber players who have gone on to be head coaching, 
it usually has disastrous results. You look at Magic Johnson, not a good coach. Larry Bird, I think, is <laughs> or, the exception. Or general but, manager. Or general manager. Isaiah yeah. Thomas, you know, terrible on both ends. Michael yeah. Jordan is a horrible team president. And oh, owner. my God. Uh, I'm pretty sure Michael Jordan owns that team just so he can take, like, players who are towards the tail end of their career or, like, cocky rookies and just beat them one-on-one still. Yeah. Like, it's like trophy hunting. Yeah. <laughs> it's like this dude with a big private island and he, and he hunts. It's the most dangerous game. He hunts men. What's a big free agent signing we can make this offseason? Terry Rozier. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> Bringing in Tony Parker two Scary years ago Terry. at the end of his career. Let's yeah. do it. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, like, like I said, I mean, like, Larry Bird's a good ex- example of this. And I think the difference is if Tim was going to head coach the Spurs, hypothetically, I don't think it would lend to that kind of disastrous results because, like we said, he's got that knowledge base, the two decades of yeah. fundamental knowledge here well, with the Spurs. My, my, obviously, nobody. Nobody in the media really knows how Tim Duncan's thinking. He's literally, we saw him for the first time against the Hornets. He was announced as an assistant coach. Not once have we talked to him, and that's sort of the the standard protocol for the Spurs. But nonetheless, the the harboring belief, this might be a one-and-done for Tim. Uh, This literally might have just came down to Pop saying, I have two assistant coaches. I don't know who to make the third. I really don't have a good candidate. Tim, you're hanging around the team all the time anyway. Can you please help me out? We're going to be young. I'm trying to teach this, teach this culture. Yeah. I'm trying to bridge this gap. We had this great year last year. I don't know where we're going to be this year. we got to figure things out in a couple of years when the cap opens up. Our young players, can you please do me a solid and come on board? And I think Tim was like, you know what? I'll do it for you, Pop. Like, I really just think that's what it is. Yeah. At the end of the year, you know, uh, we're worried about Brown maybe getting fired for the Sixers. Um, James Borrego, I don't know what's going to happen with him. Charlotte, I think yeah. he's got another year left in him. But nonetheless, there might be an assistant coach out there that Pop can bring back home. Yeah. And Tim will probably be like, look, take it. I'm out. Like, I, right. I don't think he has any interest in this long term. And, of course, national outlets will really – bark that towards you, that Tim Duncan's in the future. And I don't even know if Tim Duncan's the future in August. Like, I really don't. Right. And so let's reevaluate that. My guess is this is a one-year thing. Yeah. That's just me, though. Now, you mentioned national media there. I, I don't want to spend too much time addressing this, but there was a little bit of conversation on ESPN with a former Tim Duncan teammate, Richard yeah. Jefferson, uh, yeah. who uh, you know called Duncan a waste of a player, uh, <laughs> said that he's been carried through his whole career. I think the clip was he was carried by Tony Parker. He's been carried by Coach Pop, Manu, don't even through Bruce, Bruce Bowen's Bruce, night. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm Carry, sure. Carried by everyone except his hairdresser. And by the way, I kind of love Timmy's hair now. Yeah. He, he did He did like some, some hair flip thing in the oh, press yeah. conference. So, yeah, yeah, it got you all hot and bothered. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Loosen the collar there. Yeah. Uh, um, but, I mean, he's trolling, right? That's, yeah, that's no, what it comes down to. I mean, as an experienced troll, I can <laughs> I can identify the telltale signs of trolling. And these guys are buddies. They they He had a great interview on Jefferson's podcast in, I think, 2017. Uh, there was that clip I tweeted out from a, a game against the Warriors where he, he shoved him and, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. looked really stare serious. Down, yeah. Like, really, really got into him. But, like, you know. Let's say one day I'm on ESPN's morning show and Evan Klosky is universally recognized as one of the five greatest sportscasters of all time. <laughs> this is a I, wonderful hypothetical, right, by the way. I am all Dreaming in big, that. yeah. <laughs> of, of course, I'm going to call him a bum and say that he's been carried by yeah. Jackson Floyd and, and all of our bosses. Certainly not his, his stylist, his wardrobe person, right? Right. But, yeah, <laughs> it's just one of those things where Richard Jefferson just, like, not knowing context when it came out, being like, he's trolling. Like, he's definitely trolling, right? And then, you know, things started coming out like, look, this is your relationship. And it's like, okay. Right. Yeah, it was yeah. just a matter of, like, nobody understanding 
the joke. Yeah. And you he know, gave like, it so deadpan. Yeah, too. no, he it was great performance. Yeah. Like, yeah. really, like, look, you got to give it up to him. Like, I mean, that was Stephen A. Smith level performance. Yeah, and now, like, Richard Jefferson's kind of honing in on sort of like this uh, this villain in San Antonio because yeah, right, I yeah. think, uh, what was it, uh, maybe six months back, a year back or something, he said, like, this is not a place to go to, yada, yeah. yada, yada, and people yeah. got pissed here. And so I think he's sort of enjoying the villain role. Just, again, do not take it seriously, please. Because right. every time that you yell on Twitter, like, making fun of him, he's getting a bigger laugh. Oh, yeah, he gets more powerful. ESPN runs the clip with a 30-second ad on it, laughs all the way to the yeah. bank. And, I like, mean, when, and let me tell you this. When you see an organization, like, get up, like, tweet the clip and say, like, it's blasphemy. Like, right. they want... They're, yeah, they're, they're literally, like, pulling you in. They're like, oh, you take yeah. the bait. So, you know, watching it, you kind of knew, like, this was pretty... Yeah. This is pretty wrong. Like he knows it wrong. Like is just, is this just like a thing he's trying to like piss San Antonio off? And yeah. try, like then you realize the relationship they have, and it's like mm. yeah. So another big question uh, over these last three games: uh, this team has been without Lamarcus Aldridge. Uh, I, I mean, the injury bug we'll get into uh, yeah. has been biting like crazy across the board here for the team. Um, but without Aldridge out there, we've seen a different Demar Derozan, a more deferential Demar, yeah. uh, a more distributor in Demar. I can try to think of more D words we want to <laughs> alliterative that, but um, he's getting off to slower starts. So yeah. what's up with that? Uh, first off, I think you're you're seeing a little bit a how much Lamarcus helps Demar yeah. mm-hmm. in spacing the floor. Yep. Um, so that's a problem. Two, I don't know. So coming into the All Star break. We were kind of wondering what this team is going to do differently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of thinking maybe they're trying to find a role that DeMar can play next year. If they're trying to, I think they're trying to do something differently with him now. Yep. Uh, he, I think in the game since the All-Star break, i got to double-check, uh, he has had six-plus assists in all but one. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. he ha- and then the Mavericks game, he did score 27 points in that one. A lot of it was in the second half, and that was because the Mavs completely just collapsed on a side. Like, they really just had brain farts, and DeMar was getting easy layups. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't even think it was, like, planned. It was just, you know, DeMar's, DeMar's becoming a point guard, by the way. Like, yep. at what point do we start discussing that the future of DeMar DeRozan's career is at the point, not the shooting guard? Like, the small forward. Like, certainly one, not yeah. small forward. Yeah, that's yeah. insane. It's just, like, is his future a point guard? I think so. And so I, it, was, it was interesting because – Looking at these three games without LaMarcus Aldridge, it seemed there were there were games where he had one attempt in the first half, two attempts in the first half. And that's not the DeMar DeRozan that we know. And my gut reaction when I was seeing this was he's a better facilitator once he establishes himself as a scoring threat, mm-hmm. once he is probing the defense, getting inside, getting guys to bite on his pump fakes, drawing multiple defenders. And the passes that he's been making in these first halves He's not even penetrating. Yeah. He's, he's, you know, dribbling up to the three-point arc, obviously not going to shoot it, looking around and, and passing it to somebody else. But And, and so in my head, I was like, that's got to be generating fewer scoring chances, right? Mm-hmm. That's not the case. In these three games without LaMarcus Aldridge, the, the games leading up to it, passes per game for the season, according to NBA's player tracking, 38 passes per game. Mm-hmm for 5.5 assists per game. Mm-hmm. In these three games without LaMarcus Aldridge, there have been five more passes per game, up to 43, but nine assists. Mm-hmm. And so what that tells me, with the context of these not being really, you know, passes off of really uh, destructive penetration, is that 
he's deferring to some of these young guys yeah. and they're making things happen. Mm -hmm. So that, and I think that ties into what you were saying earlier about they're trying to find a role for him for next year where, you know, we, we've been saying it this whole time. When DeMar plays with the ball in his hands like that, it takes opportunities away from the young guys who, you know, could be running pick and roll or isolations. And we've seen DeJounte Murray get more opportunities. We've seen, you know, Derek White, even Keldon Johnson yeah. getting some more opportunities. And it's because DeMar DeRozan at the beginning of the shot clock is saying, here, you take it. Yeah. And kind of getting out of the way. And he doesn't space the floor all too well, yeah. which is still an issue if he's going to play that way. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's a guy who doesn't need the hot start to find a shot. Like you mentioned in yeah. the Mavericks game, he didn't need to take a bunch of opportunities in the first half to end up with 20-plus points, and most of the shots come in the second half. These younger guys are, need the ball in their hands. I think DeJounte yeah. is a guy who, when he is more involved in the first half, plays better the full game. Uh, when Keldon and Lonnie are finding their shots earlier on, it lends to better things later on in the future for the Spurs. DeJounte said after that, uh, the game that Tim coached and you know the assistant coaches coached, he said... You know, they ran more plays for me, and I got I got more touches. Yeah, uh, and I, so I got more opportunities. Let me, let me also throw this out: uh, Demar Derozan, possibly a point guard in the future. Uh -huh. Though I will say that the one demerit on him is three point shooting. Like yeah. you got, if you're gonna do that, you you need to be a, a floor spacer at the same time. But Dejounte Murray, shooting guard in the future, yeah. not a point guard or or small forward. Yeah. I mean, it, it makes sense to me because Murray is a guy who can defend larger guys at the two and maybe the three. Um, and, you know, someone like DeRozan isn't. And, but he's got the skills to, to defend those guys. That's where a lot of the better players are playing these days. So he's going to be matching up against Harden, against the, uh, Clay Thompson, those guys of the world. Um, and, I, I mean, as long as he can find a shot, that's the thing. You know? Are we starting to see – fans are barking a little bit, but are we starting to see sort of the – brain trust kind of doing some things now like yeah. uh my i mean Dejounte has been involved more now i'm afraid to really go heavily on the praise because the last time we did that yeah like the last <laughs> and then he right. had two games where it's like bro yeah. what are you doing yeah. like you're not even making like a, a rec league layup um but honestly um i just think about it even at the end of games now that D Derek White and, and DeJounte Murray have been playing more together, Pop calls on Derek yeah. to be the point guard. Mm -hmm. So obviously in our heads, if we can go into Pop's head, push comes to shove, he trusts Derek more than DeJounte yeah. with the ball. Yeah. has always had a problem with turnovers, and yeah. you you would hope that he'd clean that up as his mm -hmm. you know career progresses. And he has. But he has I mean, he's yeah. done a little bit, but there's still an issue there. Yeah, so I, I'm just wondering if DeJounte may be a better fit as a shooting guard moving forward. Well, have basketball is becoming so positionless, right. too. Yeah. I mean, if you... I, I'm, yeah, and I'm, I say yeah, that yeah. loosely. You know what I'm saying. As like, the, the primary engine of yeah, the offense. That's, yeah, 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 you know, essentially that he's not controlling the, you know, the, ini the initial initiator. Yeah, the, you know. initial initiator. That's like <laughs> Evan's band name. The, the initial initiator initiating the initiation. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, I get what you're saying, and I like that a lot. Yeah, I think down the board. White has always reminded me of Manu Ginobili, and that's mm. what Manu did. You know, he come mm. in with that second unit and he would be the engine the in, mm. and then he'd finish games as the guy driving the the offense there uh, but you had parker's the main guy yeah. um derosen as that main guy like i think works and i think you're right seeing the brain trust kind of put that to pen to paper there making things happen uh man it works for james harden it works for Giannis to be uh, the distributor the guy who collapses the defense mm -hmm. and then dishes it out 
it's just those guys have a better three-point shot. I mean, yeah. we're and, saying things. I mean, Giannis is still a below-average three-point shooter, but he's better than DeRozan yeah, at it. Um, yeah, so, I mean, that that's important to figure out DeMar's true fit. Yeah. And especially going forward in the NBA where you need to be – living on an island now, if, if we're going to project that the Rockets are the future of the NBA, yeah. right? If we're just going to assume that. DeMar can fit in offensively, but defensively he is going to be so screwed. Yeah. So it's just wondering where that fits in also in the greater scheme of things. Uh, just to continue, one, this past week, the injuries stink, and, and let's just quickly go out of, out of the way with the injuries. Yeah, with, let's uh, do it. You know, the Orlando game, Jakob Pertl plays four minutes. Uh, MCL sprain. He's out indefinitely. I kind of looked up other players who've had that injury. If it's a grade one, it's usually a two week. Mm -hmm. Steph Curry had a grade one. And let me just say, Steph Curry is a bit more nimble than Yak. So, <laughs> a, a bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so like two weeks. I mean, we're talking maybe like three, two to three weeks for a grade one. If it's a grade two, and now we're talking like Blake Griffin territory, which I think is a fair comp to Yak as far as size yeah, and build. Agree. I mean, we're talking about like four to six weeks. So, And I think he said grade two the, in his post. Is that, the, I, was I, that on Facebook? I, maybe. I don't, I don't I'll, remember. I'll getting, have to go back. Yeah, I don't remember hearing a grade. I assume it's a grade two. Yeah. Um, so, so the point is, Yak can come back if the Spurs are making an eighth seed push. Yeah. I think you might see him the last five games of the season if the Spurs are in contention. Outside of that, you're just going to shut him down. I mean, yeah. there's no reason to risk further injury. And then LaMarcus Aldridge has been out since the Thunder game coming out of the all-star break with a shoulder sprain. There is some optimism. Honestly, we should be getting a, an injury report any minute uh, from the Spurs talking yeah. about what he's going to do tomorrow against the Nets. Uh, but there is optimism that he is going to return tomorrow. I mean, this has been the biggest, I think the weakest point in the depth chart is the, the big men for the Spurs. Right. Uh, I mean, they got a, a vast amount of wing players who can fill in yeah. at the point the shooting guard. I mean, if DeRozan was missing time, you'd put Keldon or Lonnie You know, in. and the fact of not having LaMarcus and Pearl really hurt them against the Pacers. Yeah. I mean, they did an Adam, they did a great job, I'll say, of containing Sabonis. Sabonis Until is the a end freak. Of the game there, All right, yeah. let me just tell you this. Sabonis is a darn freak. I watched him since Gonzaga. He is so damn good. He was an all-star this year. Mm -hmm. they ha and they had the task of Sabonis and Turner. Turner got injured for a little bit in the beginning of that game. They kind of bailed him out for yeah. a bit. Um, and they contained him. But containing down low resulted in the Pacers popping off from three in yeah, the second right. quarter. And that ultimately doomed the Spurs in that game. Uh, and then, you know, they, they had this ferocious comeback, which no matter what we can say about the Spurs team, they really don't die often. Yeah. You know, we can talk about, like, the Thunder game where they, they had, I mean, there's a Thunder. Like, once every other month, they really put up a true stinker where it's, like, putting all the backups in the third quarter. But they, like, every time you think they're, like, oh, it's going to be one of those games, they, they surge. They have yeah, a, they right. find it in themselves. And they were up by four because Lonnie Walker was a freak of nature that game. Mm -hmm. And then Sabonis came in and tired legs and working yeah. your buns off the entire day down low and just Sabonis was getting second chance opportunities yeah. it just you know it, and then you had to, then you were playing a game where you had to match them offensively and it just you know Lonnie Walker was the engine and when that's done they just couldn't they couldn't meet, meet up but I will say the small lineup for the Spurs with Gay at the five actually has not been bad yeah which is curious because Gay himself has been Pretty bad. I mean, <laughs> the dude just can't guard the perimeter, man. Yeah. Every time you watch yeah. it, like when you like take a look at threes, and if you have DVR, rewind it. Like I feel like 
30, 40 percent of the time, it's gay trying to guard the perimeter, and you're like, oh, there we go. I mean, what are you gonna do? Right. <laughs> um, but like, I think one thing we need to talk about with these injuries is. You know, some... Oh, Marco Bellinelli has an illness. Yeah. That too. Uh, Why we saw Kelvin Johnson in Charlotte. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, we're <laughs> there, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. we know, Tom. We know. So, so, we know. But one thing, one thing we need to talk about is Chemezi Metu. Um, still in Austin. Still in Austin. And ahead of... Like, we knew LaMarcus Aldridge would be out for the Orlando game. Yeah. They choose not to bring Metu up for depth. And... You know, the backup starting center goes down in the first five minutes of the game. And, you know, for that game, I, I would think they would see that happen and be like, okay, that's a huge bummer. We need Messi here right now. Um, and you could argue that they should have made that call before that game yeah. because of the possibility of something exactly like that happening. But he's played two games for Austin since... Hurdles injuries. And he has been transcended in those games. He's, he's been, been so fantastic. Good. Here, here are his lines. Uh, the 29th uh, against Orlando, or 29th when the San Antonio Spurs were playing against Orlando, he had 27 and 17 for Austin. And then uh, on March 3rd, he had 34 points, eight boards, and hit three of four threes. He's shooting 40% this year on threes on 2.1 attempts per game. Last year, it was 22% on .7 attempts per game. I watched a lot of him in Austin last year. I was at a lot of those games, and watching him, I said, I'm not sure about his, uh, you know, how he projects to the next level unless he can complete his outside game. Unless he can become a really complete and versatile player on both ends of the floor at his size, you know, that, that will be the thing that gets him minutes if he can do that. And he is absolutely done that in in Austin it's if you watch the tape I mean he's got he's got a little bit of everything in his bag I mean the opportunities here in San Antonio this year for him haven't been there he hasn't really had too many chances to get into the game but when he does he's not good I don't know what the deal I mean I, I would maybe think, describe him below average at best you yeah, know but a little bit gun shy yeah the, the just, shot's not there you know he's hitting threes in, I just in Austin, don't think yeah. I just think he's been hesitant mm -hmm. I think that's the first thing that you notice it's when a comfort a thing yeah so I just think that Every time he's gotten into the NBA game, he's not 100% sure what to do in a sense, yeah. slash, um, can I do this? Do I feel comfortable? Like, when the Oklahoma City game happened, he looked more like himself. Why? Because there was nothing on the line. Yeah. You know, he was right. playing he was, his game. He, he took outside shots. He didn't care. So uh, that's just a mental thing. And, and, you know, I don't know if, you know, if we're talking about it, I don't know if they're seeing it. Like, look. Or, or you know, maybe they're just like, look, we're we're – as I said, they're, they're, it seems like the brain trust is sort of getting things moving. I don't know if they're telling Mezzi, look, we want you to work on this part of your game and we're going to send you down there. Yeah. We don't, you know, again, fans saying, like, why don't you care about the future? I argue that this is caring about the future, that he's down there. Obviously, the work on something very specific. Yeah. Uh, because they do need that in, in their baggage right now with the NBA club. So, um, but and if you're it, starting Drew Eubanks... Yeah, I, I, look, and I'll say this, you know, Eubanks came in formidably yeah. uh, for that game against the Magic, did some nice things, hit a three-pointer, which he does not do. <laughs> Pop said never do Bench that again. Bench went nuts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, and then Indiana got way overmatched. Last game in Charlotte, just kind of yeah. didn't even see him there. I'll say this, 
I don't know where Drew Eubanks kind of projects to me. Yeah. You know, he's, what, 6'8", six, 6'9". Six, he can't shoot a three. He's not necessarily strong enough in the post. He's not necessarily great enough to guard the perimeter. He doesn't have a great jumper. He's got the hook shot, which is great 25 years ago. Yeah. You know, I just, I don't know. To me, Drew Eubanks is a 6'10 version of Yak Pertle. And if you have the seven foot one version of Jakob, <laughs> play that one. Yeah, play that one. Yeah. Um, so, and you know, w- watching Drew in Austin, he d- there's a lot to like about him as a player. Uh, there's a lot to like about yeah. his game. You know, all of the all of the San Antonio inside baseball coaching words like you know activity. He's a very high activity player. Yeah. Um, you know, active hands, active feet. He's he's a smart player. Um, but he, he couldn't keep anybody off the glass in the Pacers game, yeah. which is to be understood. I mean, you're going against Miles Turner, who's a freak, and DeMontis Sabonis, who is also a freak. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you, you can't blame him too much for not thriving in a situation where just by the very nature of it, he's overmatched. Yeah. I agree. I mean, I, I don't see the Eubanks has been one of those guys uh, who's been a, 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 an integral part of the community in San Antonio. Yeah. He's one of the coffee gang, you know, yeah. uh, go out and get the first coffee team all him. bench mob. <laughs> yeah, he uh, I think inherited Patty Mills's towel when yes. uh, Mills started getting more meaningful minutes, too. Um, but no, I, I, I don't know what the future office for him. Yeah. And I think maybe if, you, if this is a future forward team right now, I don't know. Like you said, max potential right now is eighth seed. Give the time to Messier, you know? He might not be ready there, but he's only going to get ready yeah, by... I, I am I am. Conf- I know I said all those things about Messier, yeah. but I am confused that why Messi isn't with the team right now. Right and now, that's the thing. Yeah, and, and those numbers, I will say, is also a product of the fact that literally all the best Austin Spurs are outside of... Even Q, I think, is with the team. Yeah. That's, like, literally all the best Austin Spurs are with the Spurs. So Messi is, like, the engine for that team. So, I mean, yeah. it's all going through him. Yeah. Whereas when you started the season, and, and that's not to say that Messi wasn't great to begin the season because, I mean, he has great numbers yeah. throughout. So uh, it's just – I am surprised Messi's not with the team. The the sort of the supplemental part of having all the injuries is that we're seeing sort of different things. Uh, I do want to transition a little bit into yeah, Kelvin playing. Yeah. Um, which I really liked. I mean, mm-hmm. it w- like, Marco gets an illness – uh, and Pop's not there, so there's literally no way that Marco can get into the game. <laughs> right. And so, so I with, still was with expecting those, him to like those, descend from with, the rafters. With, yeah. And Is that with, Bellinelli's music? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Oh, and you got like Vince McMahon. It's like, me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, what is that? Like Yoshi? Did he just pull it? <laughs> no, you did like Wario. Uh, um, yeah. But like, so with those two worlds colliding, we finally got Kelvin Johnson yeah. into a game, and it's what we've been clamoring for all the time. He actually hit a three-pointer, yeah. which mm-hmm. um, which was nice to see. Again, that's not going to be his bread and butter. Uh, I don't, you know, think that's going to be a trend. Yeah. But nonetheless, I think he only shot four times, right? But his he has an unbelievable ability to finish at the rim. Yeah, mm-hmm. like it is so impressive, and he is not even like strong yet. You know, like he hasn't yeah. even built his body yet. To think about him, just I mean, he was going through players at least four inches taller than him yeah. at the rim. And, uh, you know, we said, about, we said that about uh, Nerlens Noel when he played mm-hmm. in OKC. He was doing the same thing against Charlotte. He got some great buckets down low and really tough. One was in transition where he had to kind of slow himself down, finish at the rim. Yeah. It kind of looked pretty easy for him. Honestly, he gets within uh, – he gets – 
right next to the basket, and it's like, oh, he's gonna finish. Like, yeah. it, it'd be super. Like, what is he like, sixty percent around the rim? Like, awesome. around the around the rim, he's fantastic. And you know, you, you said he hasn't really, he hasn't even filled out yet. Mm-hmm. But when he was drafted and going into summer league and all of that. You could tell that he had the most NBA ready body out of the rookies that the Spurs drafted. And I, I will always remember like the moment I fell in love with Keldon Johnson was he he drove, it was in transition, and he he got a dunker layup through contact, wound up on his butt, looking directly into the camera, and he just goes, Big body! Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's fun. He always does. Was, and that was it for me. I was like, I love this kid. I want to life, yeah. 25 minutes a game. <laughs> the, like, the big body stuff, by the way, is like his thing. Like, yeah. if you like, he'll he's made it his he trademark. says like uh, like um, when I was at a Spurs game before a, a Ken's five hit, he was shooting around. It wasn't in a game he got into, but he was screaming during like yeah. the practice yeah. session. He gets he gets fired up. Yeah, he's, he a, he's is. a. I mean, his motor is the best thing about him to me. Is every every second he's on the floor, it's. It's not even like he has some dog in him. It's like he actually is a dog out there on a basketball court with a ball and nine humans. Yeah. And he's just chasing it with that level of intensity yeah. compared to everybody else. So out there. Evan, you brought up the fact that he did hit a three-point game and you and then that game and you said, you know, that's not what he projects to. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to get a little big fun hypothetical here with what he does project to and also going to do something that I usually hate but I'm a, I'm a hypocrite. So I'm going to do it right now. <laughs> I just, as long I as you openly own admit it, to it. It's okay. Right. Uh, as long as you own it. I hate cross sports metaphors. But the Spurs, as we talked about in that Pacers game, we've seen it several other times this, through this uh, season, they don't have a closer. You know, they can, they can come back in games. That middle relief is strong there. But when it comes down to the bottom of the ninth and you need someone to close out the game, you know, Man- Mariano Rivera is not walking through the fence there. They're not even have a, a capable closer. You, you'd mm-hmm. hope that would be DeMar, LaMarcus. DeMar has never been that guy in his career. LaMarcus is, is a little more hesitant in the shots towards the end of the game there uh, and defers to DeMar to do it, and that's not him. DeMar's had moments. He's had moments. He's I, had a couple big shots. I think, I think he's, both, not, he's not afraid to take those shots. Yeah. yeah. It's, I think they're both not labeled clutch players. Yeah. I got you. But Keldon will be the closer for this team in a couple years. So. Uh, he'll be the Manu. Manu was the closer that they, they miss right now, uh, and I think he's the guy. He's the dog. He's got that energy. He's got the willingness to do that. He's going into the paint. When it gets harder towards the end of the games to score, in the paint, he's going to be able to do that. You know, I think he kind of reminds me of Dwayne Wade in those first two years in Miami, where Dwayne didn't have an outside shot at the time, but he was going to the paint, he was making contact, and he was finding a way to finish mm-hmm. some amazing theatrical shots at the the, the, the rim there. Uh, and that's what Keldon can do. I mean, he's not there yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, give him a couple years, I think he will be. But that's the guy that the Spurs need. I think maybe Lonnie might be the closer, but it's not Keldon. He's shown the ability to to do the same thing there. Yeah, we'll see. I I definitely actually agree with you with Keldon. Yeah. Because Kelton has that build with Lonnie. Lonnie's more of like a heat check guy. Yeah. Like mm. I think with Lonnie, it's more of like, dude, and you see this with Pop. He notices it and he's like, This I'm riding this guy out. Yeah. yeah. And I just think with Lonnie right now, make the next step is he's gotta be locked in day in and day out, game in, game out, because he'll have the tremendous performance we saw against the Pacers, but then we go back to the game before against the Magic, and he was awful. Awful yeah. was uh I mean, from Physically not looking there, he made a mental mistake. I mean, literally, Terrence Ross. I did a, I did a thing yeah. on on uh, on Ken's Five Sunday Night about fans kind of saying it's you know pop picks on on Walker. And I've said this on the podcast multiple times. I'll continue to say it. at the beginning of the year I thought it was unfair. I thought Walker should have been in. We can blame Pop for that. I think he deserves that blame. But when a moment like that happens before the game. 
Popovich is telling Bill Land, the number one key to this game is to stop Terrence Ross off the bench. It is pivotal. It's make or break. I mean, he literally, like, and, and if you look at the, the quarters go by, Derek White is on him, face guarding him. And then whether that's, that's Mills or Forbes, and this isn't about Forbes being a better defender. It's not that. But Lonnie had the assignment on Terrence Ross immediately after White left the game. It was like, okay, it's now your job. And you notice how important it is because Lonnie is one of the best defenders. He's yeah. putting him on Terrence Ross. And the first thing that Lonnie does is he cheats to help. Terrence Ross just circles around the perimeter, easy wide open three. And you can't do that. And that's just stuff that is going to help Lonnie going forward. And what happened? Lonnie played the next game. Yeah. yeah. But those are the things that Lonnie still is learning is to be locked in, game in, game out, and not to have those mental farts. I, I think the thing that frustrates a lot of fans, certainly frustrated me earlier in the year and, and now is the double standard or the perceived, yeah. perceived double standard totally. where you know you have guys like Bryn Forbes getting burnt on backdoor cuts mm-hmm. you know, every time you look up at the screen. Yeah. And then you know you see, you see Lonnie make a mental mistake and he's getting chewed out for it. Yeah, it's and the expectation I think. Right, for those I was, guys, I was right? gonna yeah. say like maybe part of it there, is yeah. that you know Pop has already given up on Bryn Forbes. He's like you're not you're not gonna I improve do. as a defender. But Lonnie, like I need to. How do I reach these kids? <laughs> I do, I do think that and, and the fans I do think a part of it is Pop knows that Lonnie can be great. I mean, yeah. mm-hmm. like this isn't surprising. Who was the number one person that Pop would chew out back in the day? It was Tony. It was Tony, yeah. Like, man, he lit and Tony Tim Duncan. Up. Yeah, Tim Duncan, too. I mean, he lights into the ones that he expects to be great. Yeah. yeah. Because they need to be great for this team to be successful. And I think that Pop is really challenging Lonnie, really challenging him mentally to, to say, hey, like, I need this from you. Yeah. Like, I am going to hold you to a higher standard. And maybe you view that as not fair, but you hope that in two to three years you can look back and say it's though like Lonnie can have quotes that says like the moments where I was getting chewed out like I can tell you that right. that helped me get to where I am today. Yeah. I, I think the thing that w- one of the other things that fans are thinking about is you know yet yes Pop making it difficult on on Lonnie you know pressure ma- pressure makes diamonds yeah. but there's there's been enough struggle this year. Without adding any, yeah. you know, on your own, it's, yeah. it's been it's been a tough year, yeah. and there there have been a whole lot of moments throughout the year where it's like, you know, this we we need to get something done now. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, like I, I I I've been you know very online this season, and and I under I understand and empathize and feel the same way with a lot of the stuff, but um, you know. It, it all comes back to Pop expects a lot from him because he has tremendous potential. Yeah. yeah. We spent a lot of this podcast talking future forward here. What's yes. next for DeMar? What are the next for these young guys here? Uh, Mezier's role, things like that. Uh, even talking about you know future forward head coaches here. Um, does that mean we've given up on this season? Like, what's the chances for uh, playoffs here now? You, you know, know uh, <laughs> first off... Uh, I'm going to answer your question, but please, like, at some point, I feel so disrespectful to Trey Lyles after the week he has that we have not even mentioned <laughs> oh, him. Oh, yeah. But so, He's so been please, good. Jackson, like... Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll lo- end lo- with a Trey Lyles lo- note here. Loop yeah. us back in there, cool, but um, I don't think it's necessarily giving up. Uh, I Honestly, if they lost a Hornets game, I was going to wave in the white flag. Yeah. I was going to say, I said this in the, the podcast before uh, going into 
after the, the rodeo road trip, 9-4, when, when they get to five losses, I'm waving the white flag. Mm-hmm. So they're at two right now. So I'm not waving the white flag yet. But now, because you lost that game against the Pacers – you have created very minimal wiggle room because you yep. still have games against Denver and Utah and um, trying to think of – there's a couple more playoff-type teams. Jazz don't scare me. Yeah, yeah I mean, well, you, I mean got- you beat the Jazz <laughs> twice. Are you can really beat the Jazz like three times. Like, I'm just wondering about that. Like, yeah. you've already gotten your two wins against the Jazz. I mean, it's, I mean, they're looking really bad right now, so we'll see how they look. But you get Dallas again. They um, saw the Golden State game in the schedule too, right? And Curry's, yeah, and Curry's back. back. So that's not so, going to be a cakewalk yeah. anymore. Yeah, so, I mean, it, though I will say that even when Curry was on the team <laughs> at the beginning of the season, they weren't good. That's very true. But, yeah, the, now Golden – and I will say this. It's not like Curry on the team affected them too much at home against the Warriors early in the season. Yeah. They took them to overtime. So, right. you know, uh, it can't, can't be much worse. But uh, the, the next two games here uh, at the Nets, at the Cavs – Need to win both of those. You need I to think win so. them. Absolutely. The need Grizzlies. To win both of those. Grizzlies beat thumped. the beat the, the Nets, Nets by like forty, 40 points. Yeah. My uh, brother was at that game too, and uh, he's a Grizzlies fan, so he was feeling pretty good about uh, that. Thanks for that one, Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah, it way is, to step up. I mean, how how Spurs season twenty twenty would it be if? Well, what it's going to come down to is the play of Trey Lyles. If he can keep the hot streak uh, up. Okay. <laughs> uh, and I'll say with the Grizzlies because I've been the notable Grizzlies aren't in the eight seed. The Grizzlies are now in the soft part of their schedule. Yeah, their mm-hmm. last. Like 15, 14 games are like brutal. And they're four games ahead of the Spurs right now in the standings. They're absolutely brutal. The Spurs are actually in that 14, 15 game window. So if the Spurs are theoretically still in at that time, that's going to be a battle because both teams are going to know what the stakes are. Blazers, Jazz, Spurs, Thunder, Bucks, Pelicans, Pelicans, Celtics, Raptors, Raptors. Yeah, that's how that's how Memphis closes the season. Yeah, good, you and know, that's back to back games against freaking Zion. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. know, and, and oh, and then on that stretch, we're gonna see Zion. Yeah. So I mean, it's like crap. I mean, you want to make the playoffs? You better you better have a consistent stretch. Like you you have to at one point in the season yeah. to like make the playoffs. Yeah. So I mean. Literally, we're this far deep, and the Spurs have won three games in a row. What twice? Twice. They've never won more than three games yeah, in a row. That's so insane. Just, that's just pro- like it's crazy that they're still in this position. Shows you how up and down they are. Yeah. Um, and how up and down the whole league has been too. None of these teams in that seven, eight, nine, ten spot has really pulled ahead. Yeah. I mean, Memphis has done a great job holding it in, but that lead has never ballooned to more yeah. than what five games behind or anything. Yeah, like that, we're gonna and so. you know when the when the season does end, we're gonna have some crazy big fun trade scenarios right. because. You oh, know, it's going to be I'm, big I'm and fun, like, yeah. I, I, like, I don't know what the, the Blazers are going to do. Like, the Blazers got to blow it up, right? I know Nurkic didn't play this year, but, like, at what point do you – and I know that last year they were inches away from – I don't want to say inches. They got really blown out in the Western Conference yeah. Finals. But they made it to the Western Conference. Yeah. At what point do you say this isn't working and we need, like, a better – we need we need Lamarcus like Aldridge back. Like, you know, yeah, like, <laughs> we need Marco Bellinelli yeah, for CJ McCollum or yeah. something. <laughs> like I w- I'm just wondering if there's like a way that the Spurs can maybe like the CJ McCollum dip into their future. Like yeah. can they make like is he a player that they would want? Because that's sort of the guy that the Spurs really need to like hunt for is guys under team control for a long yeah. time where we can soak up the cap room because yeah, we're yeah. not going to get free agents like CJ McCollum and free agency. There, there are going to be a ton of these interesting conversations yeah, yeah. to have when the season's over, but I, I think it's important. We're, we're three quarters of the way there. We still got 22 yeah. games left in this season and the Spurs are just four games back at that yeah. eighth seed. You did and some quick math there. Count yeah. the games quick, up there. Quick math. Uh, uh, yeah. So I, they got to make some things happen. Yeah. 
And uh, Trey Lyles, then. Yeah. Let's talk yeah. about his, his week so, that we just saw. Uh, All just season, say, people have been asking, why is Trey Lyles starting? I mean, and honestly, we, I, he's been one of my favorite parts of the season. I think he has been a surprise. I don't think yeah. this is the role they expected for Trey. Uh, but he Not has risen to the expected. occasion for the most part as a starting four, starting yes. five, if you're going to say LaMarcus Aldridge isn't your center. Uh, I mean, but yeah, like, I, I, does he have a future as one of the two big men for, starting from this team? For, for like the first half of the season, he felt like this big, potentially very good placeholder yeah. for mm-hmm. what he could be. And, you know, he, he wasn't putting up the numbers. He didn't look super comfortable in the system, but... You knew watching him, knowing what he's capable of, that the fit was there. Yeah. And, you know, he, he brings a lot of what that starting lineup needs. And he's been executing at an extremely high level for over a month now. Yeah. I mean, February, he was sick. He, he shot, I think, 57% from the floor and 50% from three yeah. on a higher volume of attempts. So I, I just want to, uh, and I'll leave this back, because I've been the number one person that said, like, look, Lyles is like, okay, I guess, but I don't know his ceiling. Yeah. And I've been like, yeah, you probably just want to cut bait. Like, I'm just, no, I wasn't on the Lyles train, but I just want to say some of his stats here. So in, uh, in November, uh, he, in November and December, he played about 16 to 17 minutes per game. Uh, in both of those months, he averaged a little bit below five points a game. Uh, I, I will say one, he had like 5.3 and 4.6. So that, that's where he was kind of hovering. In January, uh, he then bumped up to about 18 minutes a game, and he, again, was averaging 4.7 points, uh, but was slowly climbing up in minutes. Uh, February, 26.6 minutes per game, averages 10.1 points per game. Uh, you know, that's on top of the, the six rebounds per game he's getting, which is pretty much where he's lived this entire season on the rebounds front. Uh, early in the year, he was around like 4.5 and but it's six. Yeah, I mean, mostly yeah. it's six. So he kept it up. And, and now, uh, and just through two games, he's up to 35 minutes per game, and he's at 13 points, you know, per game in two. I mean, last game we finally had him have a stinker beyond the arc. But, I yeah. mean, look at – I mean – Three point numbers. He shot fifty percent from three in the month of February. Yeah, uh, we, we talk about the value of a stretch four in in today's NBA, and I mean Trey Lyles has provided that. Yeah. So if well, I mean this is going to go into conversations we have in the off season too. If you part ways with a guy like Lamarcus Aldridge, say Portland comes knocking and says CJ McCollum for LMA, I don't think that's the trade. But no, you know, I was something trying to like think. That. Of, I still haven't figured out the correct trade. For um, is is Lyles the guy that maybe you start Pirtle and Lyles next to each other and he's the stretch four? I'll, that I'll, could work. I'll say this. That pairing would work. I'll say this. Lyles probably has earned the so his deal is not guaranteed for next year yeah. i think they will guarantee yeah they it. absolutely I, it, should yeah i think it's it's gotten like halfway through the year i was like yeah, yeah. you know uh but then uh really this last stretch yeah. and it, he's been more aggressive he has a like since february two to three more shots per game yeah. as well yeah like he really is just like screw it and like, it, it comes down to decisiveness and being comfortable and yeah. this is you know something that i don't know if he i Actually, I'm sure he wouldn't be this comfortable if he hadn't been starting pretty much every game yeah. for the for the season, and that can kind of make you wonder about some other guys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I I think that you will absolutely see Trey Lyles back next year. I, I just, especially now, uh, I mean, the deal. I think it's like going to be six point five million, five point five million. I mean, it's kind of a steal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, and you already, you know, dep- again, 
even talking about the cap next year is so tough because you don't know what they're doing with DeMar. For sure. Potentially they're crunched and they need to sign him because they don't have much room left. Or they get rid of DeMar and now we got a lot of flexibility. Yeah. Depending on who they bring in sign trade, there's like a a whole rant there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like you said, he's going to be one of those guys that's going to be one of the check marks they have to address in the offseason. But he's still probably going to be the guy in this next stretch here, these three games where they need to win some guys, some games here due to Pirtle's injury, due to LaMarcus Aldridge coming back. Maybe he's 80%, maybe he's 90% when he comes mm-hmm. back. Might be more reliant on him as that guy, uh, as an offensive guy there. Um, and the stretch, they need to win some games. Um, and when we talk next week, hopefully we're looking at a Spurs team that's pushed their way through a couple of winnable games and, mm-hmm. and has kept themselves in the hunt for the playoffs. Um, yeah, any final thoughts here before we uh, move on? Well, I, you know, I think that right now I'm, a, I'm interested to see if Aldridge comes back. Yeah. And if he does come back, I want to see if that changes DeMar's role, uh, the team's role, and how, yeah. how they've been going. Uh, B, you, you got to win in Brooklyn. You got to win in Cleveland. And, yeah. and let's reevaluate when you come back home. But you, you got you to take them. I mean, really, it's just you can't. Call, I mean, with some tough teams left in the schedule, you can't call up off these games. And, yeah. and finally, you know, I would love for Keldon to just get those eight to ten minutes in the Marco role. Yeah, just keep I that just, consistent. We've been asking for it. Look, Marco, and I will say, Marco has been shooting a lot better, mm-hmm. you know. And this isn't about defense here. I just, I'm just saying he has been shooting better, you know. But the fact of the matter is, is like, you obviously have made commitments to Bryn Forbes, who has also been shooting a lot better with the defensive deficiencies. Yeah. So please don't double down on it. Just like Keldon can do some stuff, yeah. and he will provide you defense. Just let me see it. Like, yeah. like I don't know. There's something like with all these injuries, it's been a bit freeing to just kind of mm-hmm. watch these games. I think Spurs fans are like so happy. Like not happy about the injuries. Some are, and you guys are. I'm gonna refrain from the words I'd use. Um, Those words are on Twitter, by yeah, the way. If you yeah, see like them. let's. Uh, you know, I despise people who are like rooting for injuries, but nonetheless, yeah. injuries do happen, and because of those injuries, it has created a bit of like. Oh crap! What are we gonna do? Well, I guess Kelvin's got to get in the game. There's no Marco, and it's like, hell yeah! It's like finally, like we're seeing some of this stuff. Yeah, um, and, the middle, and there, yeah. Are, you know, there are some warts and, you know, some evaluations that you have there. Are, this team has lulls, like they have all year. Just like, God, they play seventy-five percent of the game, and you're like, man, this team could really like make some some noise against some really good teams. Yeah. And then there's like twenty-five percent of the game where they're like the worst team in the league, and it's right. like, how the heck is is this team even in contention? Yeah, I I think that you know one of the reasons why fans are having so much fun watching the young guys is because because it's a down season. You look for those those bright spots to dance in the rain a little bit, uh-huh. and you know just enjoy watching these guys who we all know are coming soon. Yeah, like like we we can see the the coming attractions are really exciting, yeah. and um, these guys are going to be formidable in a in a year or two. Yeah, playing together. That's I mean the young guys are the the future and it's been so fun watching them and if you lose to Brooklyn and you lose to Cleveland just shut Lamarcus down start Luka Shamanich let's yes. get them the future going now the future is now uh, and it's so bright you got to wear shades well thank you so much Tom <laughs> Tom whose shirt is so bright I had to wear shades too uh, Evan Klasky of course follow us on Twitter that's real Tom Petrini at Evan Klasky I'm at Jackson Kins five at Big Fun Pod right back there read it on the screen uh, yeah and we'll see you guys next time Deuce go Spurs go. We'll